So are you the kind of person that puts things off? When it comes to the important matter of salvation, we can't afford to wait another day. Don't procrastinate. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And many people, sadly, they put it off. And here's the thing, the door is shutting. The door is shutting. How much time do you have? I don't know. Nobody's even guaranteed the rest of this day. But some people procrastinate, they put it off and they wait until it's too late. And then they're knocking on the door like those who were outside the ark, banging on the door after the Lord shut it and it started raining and they didn't get in. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Have you entered in? The door's open to the kingdom. Calvary South OC welcomes you to a daily walk with Pastor John Randall. Thanks for joining us today as we continue Pastor John's verse-by-verse study in Luke's Gospel. As we wrap up chapter 13 today, Pastor John again shares with us some truths about the kingdom of God. So maybe you're wondering, how does one enter into the kingdom? Well, stay tuned as the answer is right around the corner. Open your Bible to Luke 13 as we join Pastor John. Why is it that Christianity more than any other religion in the world has been able to infiltrate and influence so many radically diverse and different cultures. Have you ever thought about that? Why? I've been around the world in different places, different continents, and the gospel goes out in these other places that cultures are completely different from ours. Why is it effective? Why is it being used? Well, for one thing, the power of the word of God. The power of the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. These two things together have a powerful impact on no matter what culture you live in. There's power in the word of God, power to change lives. Because here's the thing, you might look different, your color may be different, your culture may be different, but there's one thing that we all have in common, it's our hearts. They're sinful, they're wicked, there's a need for repentance. No matter what culture you live in. That is prevalent in every culture, that is a common denominator, we are all sinners, And the gospel speaks to that specific need within humanity. But I think another reason why the gospel and specifically Christianity has been so effective in other cultures among other people groups is it doesn't quench one's culture but crosses over cultural barriers. Christianity is not a Western religion that destroys local cultures. Rather, it has taken more culturally diverse forms than any other faith. Let me explain. You don't have to become an American to be a Christian. Praise God. Listen, that'd be a real detriment in some places. You don't have to become an American. Nor do you have to, ladies, and you're praising God for this, wear a burqa where you cover your entire body. We can't even see your face out of the... You don't don't have to do that when you become a Christian. And you're saying, I'm thankful for that. Guys, you don't have to grow out your beard and and comb it up and wrap it around a turban when you become a Christian, nor do you have to take your turban off when you become a Christian. You, you, You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to necessarily change the cultural identity that you have. What changes is the heart. What changes is your life. And that is why I think Christianity is so effective and how God uses the gospel because it doesn't bind heavy burdens on people. It actually sets them free to be who they are in Christ. You don't have to stop eating certain types of food just because, uh, you know, you became a Christian. And again, we say hallelujah. In the book of Acts, in the Jerusalem council, the Jews, many of the Jews, some of the Judaizers as they come to be known, were trying to make Gentiles into Jews in order to be truly saved. 
These guys were trying to make Gentile converts become Jewish in order to truly be saved. And they were saying, if you are not a Jew, you're really not saved. And Paul, who was more Jewish than most, said, that's not true. That's a misrepresentation of the gospel of grace. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go through that. You can be who you are. God saves you and God changes you from the inside out. And so Paul was a great defender of grace and salvation through grace by faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we see in this parable, the interpretation of the kingdom of God having an influence that reaches far beyond Orange County, far into the world, around the world. The Bible tells us in Revelation, when we are there around the throne of God, we are given a picture of the heavenly scene where angels and elders and saints and the great cloud of witnesses are all gathered there. And it says that out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, we're gathered around the throne saying, you have redeemed us. That's what heaven's going to be like. Every kind of person, every kind of creed and, and race and so forth, we've been redeemed. But there is, as I said, a second way to observe this parable, again, employing the rule of expositional constancy and the law of first mention, because leaven, usually throughout the scriptures, is used as a picture, as a symbol of evil. Back in the Old Testament, when you would offer your sacrifices, you couldn't have any leaven within them in the meal offering. Uh, during Passover, all leaven had to be removed from your house. Jesus talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, and it spoke of hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Evil influence. Watch out for it. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, would tell them, who has bewitched you that you've turned away from the gospel? Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So it seems that many times in the scriptures, it is used as a symbol of evil. And so some will look at this parable, and they'd say, well, it appears that Jesus is saying that the, the influence of the kingdom is going to expand and so forth, but we have to be careful because there are other things that will try to infiltrate and ruin the work of the kingdom. And again, I see the validity in that interpretation as well. These are the illustrations of the kingdom of God. But the next thing we find in verses 22 through 24 is the admission into the kingdom of God. How does one become a part of this kingdom? And so as Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem, one man comes to him and he asks him a very important question. He says, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. In light of what Jesus had said about the kingdom, the question was raised, are there just a few people that make it in? Are there a few people that are saved or many people that are saved? The rabbis had an ongoing discussion, an ongoing debate about who was saved and who wasn't. Jesus doesn't answer that question. He encourages those listening to strive to enter in because there were many who would seek to enter in and would not be able. The word strive is significant. It is a word that means to agonize, to pursue it's a word that was used to describe athletes who would compete in various ancient games, whether they be running or, or wrestling. And, and it was in this preparation that you would strive, you would agonize, you would discipline yourself because there was a goal. It was a priority. You weren't lax in training. You had a goal in mind. There was a purpose in mind. And thus you were striving toward that goal. The Apostle Paul uses much this same example when he talks about in Philippians, I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am pressing, I am agonizing, I am striving, moving towards this, in other words. 
Now, don't misunderstand, as some people do. Jesus is not saying here that unless you strive, you might not make it. You might want to you know, do your best, see what happens. You know, strive. If you don't strive, listen, buddy, you're not getting in. That's wrong. I'm not getting into heaven based upon my performance. Praise the Lord. I'm getting into heaven based upon the performance of another. Jesus' performance for me on the cross, my trust and my faith in what he has done, that secures my salvation. So because I know I'm saved, I am now striving for that goal. The victory's already mine. The victory's already yours if you're in Christ. It's done. It is finished. That's what Jesus said. And I know that. But I'm still in this world. I'm still in this body. I still have to fight the flesh, the world, and the devil on a daily basis. And so there is a striving, as it were. There is an agonizing in this Christian life. This isn't easy. It's a race. It's called a fight. Those aren't easy. Those things demand a sense of discipline, of focus, and so forth. So because I'm saved, and I know what the goal is, I know where I'm headed, making my way through this world, I am striving. Not in a fleshly sense, but in a godly sense striving, moving forward in this spiritual conflict, in this battle that I am in. Many people, they don't strive. They're not, they don't even realize that they're in a battle. They're already defeated. They're already a captive of the enemy. They don't know anything about striving because they're already wiped out. They're already defeated. They're a casualty in the spiritual conflict. But for those of you who know the Lord, walking with the Lord, you battle, you strive to enter in. It's a narrow gate. Jesus said, few there are that find it in another passage. Striving. Pressing on, moving forward, being diligent, active, earnest about my relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, please consider who Jesus is addressing here. This is always important when interpreting and reading the scriptures. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a group of religious people primarily who were under and taught under a false assumption that you are saved by association. You see, for the Jews, they were taught by many of the rabbis, you're saved because you're a relative of Abraham. They would say that Abraham stood at the gates of heaven. And when a Jewish person would come up to the gates, if he recognized that you were Jewish, I see the curls, I see the beard, come on in. Yes, Abraham, they would come in just because of who they were connected with, not because of how they lived their life. As long as you were a Jew, you were chosen, you were in, you're good to go. But if a Gentile came to the door, not getting in. In fact, some of the rabbis sadly taught that Gentiles were only good for one thing. That was to keep hell burning. That's unfortunate. But that's not true. <laughs> Praise God. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's stripping away every misconception that they had. In fact, John the Baptist said the same thing. You remember when he was preaching out there in the desert and there by the Jordan, he said, don't think to say to yourselves, we're descendants of Abraham. John says that the father is able to raise up descendants to Abraham from these rocks. Don't base your salvation on your association with Abraham. That's not gonna save you. Your association with some church, the translation of Bible that you read, the church that you go to, these things don't save you, friend. Only Jesus can save you. Don't, don't falsely assume and be secure in the fact that, well, I go to church. Look, look at these words of Jesus. This is, and pay close attention. These are, these are sobering words from the king as he speaks about his kingdom and those who are entering and those who are not. Look at what it says. In verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside at the door and knock and say, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I don't know you, where you are from. 
Well, then they'll begin to say, well, well we ate and we drank in your presence and, and you taught in our streets. But he will respond and say, I tell you, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Here these people are. And you'll notice here, first of all, they were procrastinating. It says that the master was getting ready to shut the door. The door was open. But there comes a time when the door shuts and the door's locked and there's no getting in. There's a window of opportunity to come inside, but eventually that door shuts. There is a window of opportunity for every person for salvation. God gives us that opportunity. The door is open. Jesus himself is the door into the sheepfold. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And presently, the door is open for salvation. But some people, sadly, like those here in this text, they procrastinate. They wait. I'll get around to it. When are you, you going to give your life to Jesus? When are you going to surrender your will and come to Christ? Ah, I don't know. One of these days, man, but I got some things I want to do. I got some places I want to go. I got... And they procrastinate. They put it off or they falsely assume, you know what I'm going to do? Here's my plan, they'll say. I'm going to wait until I'm on my deathbed as if they are going to have that. And when I'm strapped up to all the machines and I'm watching it, boop, boop. And before it flatlines, I will confess Jesus as Lord, I'm in. That's how I'm going in. Friend, if you think that's a luxury that you'll have, you may never have that opportunity. Don't procrastinate. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And many people, sadly, they put it off. And here's the thing. The door is shutting. The door is shutting. How much time do you have? I don't know. Nobody's even guaranteed the rest of this day. But some people procrastinate. They put it off and they wait until it's too late. And then they're knocking on the door like those who were outside the ark, banging on the door after the Lord shut it and it started raining and they didn't get in. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Have you entered in? The door's open to the kingdom. But not only do we find those who are procrastinating, but again, notice this. There were those that assumed because they heard Jesus speak or because they watched Jesus eat or they were associated with Jesus that that was sufficient. You, you ate in the streets. I did. We heard you give that sermon on the mount. You did. Some people say, I know who Jesus is. Let me, let me just give you a little insight. Even the demons know who Jesus is. They know they are well aware of who Jesus is. They tremble at his presence. They are aware of what's coming and judgment that will be happening one day. It's not enough to have demonic faith. Demons have faith. They know who Jesus is. You can't just be associated with Jesus. Do you understand? You have to be born again. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can know all about him and not really know him. We know you. You were in our streets. And what does Jesus say? I don't know you. They said, we know you. He said, I don't know you. That's that's a radical phrase. That's a radical teaching from Jesus. I don't know you. In another passage, Jesus would say, there will be those that say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Many of these Jews who were basing their relationship purely on their outward religion, we did this and we did that. And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you. I didn't know you. Another thing to make mention of those who were falsely assuming that they were getting into the kingdom and they weren't. Not only procrastination and a, and a false assumption, but here's something to make note of. What does Jesus refer to them as? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, verse 27. Workers of iniquity. What does that mean? Iniquity is another word for sin, in case you didn't know. That's what it is. 
And if you're a worker of iniquity, that's like your job. What are you doing today? Going to work. Where do you, where do you work? Iniquity. You know, you clock in, right? You're a worker of iniquity. It's like your whole life is about the pursuit of sin. And my life used to be that way. I know. I, I used to work a job, worker of iniquity. But I quit that job. I'm doing something else now. Praise God. Full job change. It's good. It's a good thing. But some people don't. Now, again, I'm not talking about Christians that struggle with sin, battle with sin, repent of sin, are concerned about it, convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that don't battle sin. I'm talking about people that could care less. They say the name Jesus, but they don't live for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. They practice, they work iniquity, and they, at the same time, assume they know Jesus. Jesus says, you don't know me. I don't know you. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll seek to walk with me. And there are many people falsely assuming today, I know the Lord, but they don't live for the Lord. I know the Lord, they're putting it off. And there's gonna come a point when the door shuts and they're not allowed in. And notice the judgment that comes to that person. Look at the words of Jesus. He says, there will be, verse 28, weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves are thrust out. They will come from the east, the west, the north, the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and there are the first who will be last. Again, the audience that Jesus is addressing, they were assuming because they're connected to Abraham, we're getting in. Jesus said to those under that false assumption, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're going in. The prophets, they're also going in, but you're gonna be thrust out. And not only that, but those from the north, south, east, west, this would refer to Gentile nations, they also will be able to come in. The Bible says in John's gospel, I believe it is the first chapter, that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Many of the Jews rejected him. It opened the door for the Gentiles to come to salvation. Judgment would fall when Jesus talks about weeping, gnashing of teeth. In other passages of scripture, this refers to eternal separation from him in a place called hell. It is a real place. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven because he didn't want anyone to go there. God wants you in the kingdom. He wants you in the kingdom. Jesus died so that you could be in the kingdom. He he gave up everything so that you could be saved and have entrance into that kingdom. But some people, they're just not willing. They don't want to come. You look at the next verse, look at what it says. Then others on that very day, some of the Pharisees who were no doubt being convicted in verse 31, they said, get out of here and depart from here. Herod wants to kill you. They were rejecting him. And Jesus said to them, you go tell that fox, speaking of Herod, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Speaking of his resurrection. Nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Here were those who were hearing this message, and yet they were rejecting him and saying, get out of here. But then in verse 34 and 35, as we end this morning, I want you to see this. Here's the heart of God for people who are outside the kingdom. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's, that's the heart of God. And here Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he's lamenting. It means he's weeping. He's weeping over people that were rejecting him. And look what it says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. 
See now your house is left to you desolate. And as surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus looks over Jerusalem, knowing that they would reject him, in, in one breath they would be singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the beginning of the week, at the end of the week, they'd be saying, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. He knew that that was coming and he just wept over the city because the rejection of Jesus as their Messiah would bring desolation to their life, to their house. And it wasn't long after this that Jerusalem was completely destroyed. In 70 AD by Titus, Vespasian, came in and overthrew the city, destroyed it, left it desolate, just like Jesus prophesied. But I think today that the Lord looks over people's lives and although he sends prophets and messages and all kinds of things trying to get people's attention, although he's wanting them to come into the kingdom, you don't have to come into the kingdom. You don't have to. The door's open for you. He's calling you. He's done everything that you need to be part of that kingdom, but he won't force you into it. He gives you the opportunity to respond to it. And here he weeps over the people that were rejecting him. Have you responded to the king? You might not respond to him now, but one day you will. The Bible tells us very clearly that one day every knee is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You can do that now in humility and surrender and say, Lord, you are the king. I want to be part of this kingdom or you can reject it. There's another kingdom. There's another kingdom. It's the kingdom of this world. And although it's very visible, it's very tangible and you can see it and it's very alluring and it draws you in and all the rest of it, it's temporary, it will not last. There's one kingdom that the Bible says will last forever. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and he shall reign forever. Only one kingdom is going to last forever, guys. Are you a part of that kingdom? Are you prepared to be in that kingdom? I believe that you are sensible people, that you are aware of current events. Are you noticing what's going on in the world at the present time? Do you see what's happening around the world? Are you aware of the fact that biblical prophecy is lining up with current events like never before? When has Russia and Syria ever been allies? Never until now just like the Bible predicted. And many other things we are seeing unfold. You can't even keep up with it. It's just coming so fast. You know, back in the day, for those of you who've been around a while, like myself, (laughs) back in the day, man, you'd see it. Oh, that's biblical prophecy. Look at, whoa, that's amazing. 10 years goes by. Oh, now it's like 10 minutes goes by and things are just coming. You can't process the information. It's just coming so fast. And how does that line up? And oh my goodness, I never saw that before. And How do you keep up with it all? It's just happening, man. And the deal is, the kingdom is coming. That prayer that Jesus said, pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day that prayer is gonna be answered. Will you be a part of that kingdom? Will you be ruling and reigning with Christ as the Bible promises? The only way that you can know that for sure is if you responded to the king. Well, thanks for joining us today on A Daily Walk. To catch a replay of today's message from Pastor John Randall, simply go online to adailywalk.org or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and through the Calvary South OC app. If you'd rather have a CD copy of the study from our Through the Bible series, we can send that to you for a cost of $5. Here's where to reach us toll free, 877-242-0828. 
You can use that to order resources or if you have any questions, that's 877-242-0828. We light up around here when a listener shares what God is doing in their life and how they're helped through the teaching of God's Word. If you feel led to write, here's our email address, adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. It sure would be nice to connect with you. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. We pray this devotional will bring you hope as you seek Jesus and share in the wisdom of God from the heart of a pastor's wife. We're offering it for the special price of $15. Just call us and request a daily walk for women at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Again, that's 877-242-0828. And please remember, it's your faithful contribution to the Lord's work at A Daily Walk that allows us to bring Pastor John's studies to the radio every day. We can't do it alone and totally rely on the Lord to make all this happen. Secure donations can be made at adailywalk.org. We'll pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke next time on A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. Blessings to you. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through your generous support.